You're listening to a podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. This is highlights from our weekly service. Welcome everyone to Northern Lights MCC. The Metropolitan Community Church is an international Christian denomination that is committed to the basic Christian gospel that the love of God is available to all people through the life and works of Jesus Christ. And we believe that this love is available to us all, out to you and to me, this very evening, or whenever indeed you'll be watching at this service. We've been thinking about our care of creation over the course of the month. Together we celebrated harvest together. We then considered our own personal response to caring for creation and the climate crisis in which we find ourselves. We moved then to consider our response, our possible response as a nation. And today we think of ourselves as global citizens and stewards of the earth. Let us settle our hearts before we listen to our readings, sing our response to them and also listen to Judith's thoughts on these. And so we'll pray. Loving God, guide our thoughts and prayers this evening. Let us hear your spirit speaking to us. As we pray that we may be a beacon of hope throughout the world, as we pray that we might be reminded of our responsibility to care for and to protect God's precious gift of creation. And as we pray that all people through God may hear creation's cry and be moved to protect it for future generations to enjoy. Amen. Let us listen to our readings. A reading from the Eco Bible, a commentary on the book of Genesis by Rabbi Jonathan Neril and Rabbi Leo D. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch makes the first verse in Genesis personal and proactive. He writes that the words teach us to think of the world as God's world and ourselves as creatures of God. We must not destroy the world, but preserve it. Every single creature, every insect, every plant is a part of God's world. Woe to those that disturb his world. Hail to those that preserve his world. Rabbis throughout the ages make clear that God tasks humanity with caring for creation. When God created Adam, he took him and showed him all the trees of the Garden of Eden and said to him, Be careful not to spoil or destroy my world, for if you do, there will be nobody after you to repair it. Rabbi Shlomo Iger a distinguished intellectual who became a Hasid, that is, a spiritual and pious person, was asked what he had learnt from his first visit with the Hasidic rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotsk. Rabbi Iger answered simply, In the beginning, God created. The question oppressed him. Did a renowned scholar have to travel to a Hasidic rabbi to learn the first verse of the Bible? Rabbi Iger responded, I learnt that God created only the beginning, 
Everything else is up to human beings. Rabbi David Rosen explains the ecological impact of the Bible's opening verse. If you believe that this world is the creation of a divine power, therefore creation itself manifests the divine presence. As it says in the Psalms, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament declares the work of his hands. If you are a divinely sensitive person, whether you want to define that as religious or spiritual, then the well-being, the health of the environment and of creation is a religious imperative. A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these siblings of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello, let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be found pleasing in your sight, O God. Amen. In the late 60s and early 70s, there was a folk singer called Jake Thackeray. He was a doleful Yorkshireman, but with an insightful and very pithy power of observation of human behaviour which he applied to his songs. His was the first reference I had come across which spoke of Jesus as a country boy. Here's an example. 
The country boy came to them and whispered his name to them, sharing the place by their side, filling their lives with desire for no other freedom. It was only a country boy talking to a people in pain. Come to him, despised people. Open your hearts and he will take a share of the pain. Sounds better put to music. Jake Thackeray had been a teacher before becoming a full-time singer and apparently an observant Christian throughout his difficult, troubled and foreshortened life. Twenty years later, a scripture scholar on my theology course pointed out that Jesus certainly was a country boy because he lived and ministered mostly in the countryside during the three years of his uh, ministry and creating the movement which we celebrate as our church community. The evidence we have for this statement is clear. He lived in a place so small that it doesn't even appear on the maps of his time. The nearest city was a new build called Sepphoris, but it's unlikely that he ever had any reason to go there. Unless, of course, his dad, as a carpenter, had carpentry work there. Jesus' parables are full of country references, farming and birds and animals, particularly sheep and goats, as we heard today. Seeds and harvests and trees, the Sea of Galilee in the north of the country, fishing, hillsides, simple food and shepherding. Jesus seemed to know to keep away from cities, particularly Jerusalem, except at the major feasts when all good Jews, of course, went there. He seemed to know that country people would listen to him. He wouldn't confound them like the temple priests or the scribes and the Pharisees. He respected them. He knew their lives and he valued them in a way which the religious city slickers probably didn't. He would be, as the prophet Ezekiel said, a shepherd to his people. No wonder that the country people loved him and they listened to him and of course they followed him. All this adds up to him being a powerful poster boy for our present-day environmental movements. As our first reading tells us, from the very beginning, God gave us the earth for our delight as well as our sustenance. God saw that it was good and made us stewards of his creation. Taking care of creation is as worthy a work as care for our neighbours, because the two are inseparable. And there are now huge numbers of people who've become alerted to the perilous state of our planet and they're acting upon their knowledge and as Christians we need to support their efforts if we want to live up to our Christian commitment. But poster boy or not, Jesus was so much more than that. In some Christian traditions today is the feast of Christ the King. So how does Jesus get from being a country boy to becoming a ruler of the world, our King, our Messiah, and the promised from all ages. In my Bible, our Gospel reading is headed, The Judgment of the Nations. In other words, we have moved from the specific instructions and guidance for us as individual Christians to a message for the whole world, regardless of the difference in allegiance to other faiths. Jesus had two clear messages here. 
First, his personal acknowledgement that he spoke from a position of ultimate power at God's right hand, and that the message that he had to give was for everyone across the nations, for the whole world. The very first verse in this reading makes this clear when he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and with all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. So no confusion about kingship and ultimate power there then. The Canaanite woman had put him right and made sure that he understood that his ministry was for the whole world, not just for the Jews. I believe that his acceptance of his worldwide mission and commission came from that moment, came from that woman. But even this message speaks of the country boy in him, as he again refers to sheep and goats, and how frequently they came up. Of course, they were both essential to the lives of country people and city dwellers because they provided both wool and milk, and eventually meat. And lambs, of course, were used for sacrifice in the temple on the high holy days. Meat, incidentally, was only eaten on very special occasions in those days, not as available and as freely available as now. Shepherds tended both sheep and goats, and it was usual practice to separate them at night. So Jesus separating them in this parable was something everyone would recognise as good practice, even if it was only used as an illustration, but it showed again that he knew what he was talking about. He knew their lives. But in this, as in most of Jesus' teaching, he was trying to get us to see the world as he sees it and as he saw its needs, the people's needs and our response. Over and over again, Jesus is encouraging us to live outwards, not inwards, not me and my Jesus, keeping our lives and our God to ourselves, but forever reaching out to encompass the world and its people. And this includes the natural world of which we are so intimately a part. He grounded what he said in the natural world because we are grounded in the natural world. However sophisticated we human beings kid ourselves that we've become, we are still reliant on the availability of plants and animals and subject to the weather. But these do not belong exclusively to us. They are God's. God created them and saw that they were good. And God is telling us in this passage that we only have rights over them if we play our part in their protection and their distribution to others. It's not until we have absorbed this message and acted upon it do we become fully human and thus deserving of a place in the kingdom of heaven where we hope to meet God in glory. When we do this, God unites with us in an unbreakable union so that love of God and love and generosity towards others, our neighbours, become inseparable. 
So the two great commandments come together in our actions, in reaching out, feeding, housing, visiting people in accordance with Jesus' teaching and necessary to become true followers of Jesus and a required precursor to the achievement of heaven. To live outwardly towards others, keeping others in mind, is to live a godly life. Protecting the planet is to protect what we need to ensure the well-being of other people. To unnecessarily squander its resources is to abuse not only the earth, but God, whose gift it is. God has given us everything we need to feed, house and clothe, etc., the entire world. And we have clear instructions from Jesus in this Gospel reading that it is our Christian responsibility to do so. In fact, throughout the four Gospels and the New Testament and in much of the Hebrew Scriptures, what used to be known as the Old Testament, care for the earth and care for each other is a sign of God's presence and identifies our true allegiance to God. It is our choice, which for Christians is no choice, but a commandment from our King, our Messiah, our God. And how we respond can be up to us because God has given us free will. But to be a Christian, we know what to do. This is the challenge which we all face and one which the world needs to hear. So how do we do this? We begin where we can, in any way we can, beginning with our intention to act in accordance with our belief and God's command. Any small act of kindness, courtesy or generosity is valuable. Never underestimate the smallest kindness. It can often make all the difference to someone. Because what we do for others, we do for God. God becomes the ultimate beneficiary of our voluntary acts of kindness. And as the Gospel says, it is Jesus who is deprived if we pass up the opportunity of sharing with the needy. This isn't meant to frighten us into generosity, but to help us to reorient our, our thinking and to help us to make good and better choices in the future. By doing so, we demonstrate clearly to the world what our faith means to us. We can help to change the world. We can help to save the world. And when we do, on that day, the country boy's reference to sheep and goats will become merely a reference point to what we are already doing. Glory to you, creator of all, Jesus the Christ and spirit of life, as in the beginning is today and for eternity. Amen.
before our prayers of intercession every week, we remind ourselves that the love of Jesus extends to everyone. We light a candle just before our time of prayer to remind ourselves that our denomination of the Metropolitan Community Church was set up in the 1980s in response to the exclusion of some people from the support of Christian churches. So, as is our tradition, we start by remembering those living with HIV and AIDS, those who have lost loved ones due to AIDS, those who search for ways to cure or treat this disease, and the leaders in countries around the world who make decisions about the availability of treatment. Unfortunately, those suffering directly or indirectly from HIV-related illness are far from alone in facing hostility from established Christian churches. Even where there is clear need, not only for loving inclusion, but also for protection from many kinds of terrible harm. We are far from perfect ourselves. And so we need to remind ourselves every week that the love of Jesus extends to everyone. This week, which includes the Transgender Day of Remembrance, we are particularly mindful how much the love of Jesus enfolds all transgender people. I now invite everyone to join me in some prayers of intercession. Creator God, we thank you for your love for all of us, in all our diversity of weaknesses and strengths, in our diversity of needs and capacity to respond to the needs of others. Help us to help each other, Lord, each other's cross to bear. We bring before you our transgender sisters and brothers around the world, those who fear murder, mutilation, assault, humiliation, ostracism and psychological torture. And those who have lost loved ones when their lives have been cut short simply because they did not match some human idea of who was permitted to be called a child of God. And we bring before you the friends and families of threatened individuals and the brave community leaders caught up in intolerable situations between a loving transgender person and an unloving community. We thank you for organisations and churches trying to help individuals and those trying to bring about political and social changes in many countries. And we ask for your help in understanding how we might best channel our support. We also bring before you those who face violence, humiliation and discrimination in the United Kingdom because of their expression of gender identity 
or because of their daring to explore gender identity, or even because of suspicion that someone's gender identity might not conform with someone else's expectations. Help us to remember that because your love extends to everyone, we must do all we can to bring forward the time when 20th century England ceases to shame children, young people and older people around gender roles and expression. And may all of us who live in fear of physical, psychological and emotional attacks find safety, support, strength, community and hope. We pray for every transgender person associated with our church and for others known personally to each of us. We bring before you all those in pain who are known to us, whether it is pain of body, mind or spirit. We pray for those whose circumstances have been made known confidentially to Pastor Ronnie. We pray for Ansgar and his partner in Germany. We pray for Margaret and Judy. We pray for those whose pain is known to us personally, whether a colleague, a friend or a family member. We pray for those who continue to make personal sacrifices in the service of those who are ill, whether in hospitals, care homes or in the community. We ask for your continued blessing on the leaders of your churches around the world, including Cecilia and those who guide the Federation of Metropolitan Community Churches. We pray for our Pastor Ronnie and those who contribute to ensuring that our Northern Lights Church continues to offer worship and pastoral support during these difficult times. We pray for all our congregation and for everyone involved in Rainbow Home and for individuals associated with our church whose difficulties are known to us personally. We pray for those closest to us. We bring before you their concerns and their fears. And finally, we pray for ourselves. We bring before you our concerns and our fears. Creator God, we bring to you the prayers of Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church and the individual prayers of each one of us, as you have invited us to do. And we now accept your invitation to offer as our own prayer, the prayer which unites Christians around the world. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. And so we say together the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen. Go in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about what we do, you can find us on social media or visit our website, northernlightsmcc.org.uk.